We are in Genesis chapter 14, reading from verse 1. Genesis chapter 14, reading from verse 1. And it came about in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elassar, Chelderleomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shember, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. All these came as allies to the valley of Siddim, that is, the Salt Sea. Twelve years they had served Cheldorlamor, but the thirteenth year they rebelled, and the fourteenth year Cheldorlamor, and the kings that were with him came and defeated the Rephaim in the Ashtaroth Canarim, and the Zuzim in Ham, and the Emim in Shavah Kirathaim, and the Horites in their mount, in Mount Seir, as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and conquered all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites, who lived in Hazan Tamar. And the king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Admah, and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bilar, that is Zoar, came out. And they arrayed for battle against them in the valley of Sidim, that is against Chedalamor, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyim, and Emraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Alassar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of tar pits, and the king of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, and they fell into them. But those who survived fled to the hill country. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all their food supply, and departed. They also took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions, and departed, for he was living in Sodom. Then a fugitive came and told Abram, the Hebrew. Now he was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, and brother of Anar, and they were allies with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken, he let out his trained men, born in his house, 318, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them at night, he and his servants, and he defeated them, and he pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also he brought back his relatives, Lot, with his possessions, and also the women and the people. Okay, so there are, there are five, there are four kings against five kings. This is the first chapter in the Bible where the names are not understandable in Hebrew. So now we see that there are these Gentiles' names not understandable in Hebrew. So in Genesis chapter 11, God confused the language. Now we start seeing it showing up in the diversity of names. And so that tells us that the original language that was spoken before the division of the languages was Hebrew. Because before that, all the names made sense. So there are these four kings, and these four kings are actually... It's believed that this is the beginning of the land of Persia, of the, the, uh, um, the land of, of, ba- of, of Babylon, and then, and then the, the Hittites, and one other kingdom. This is just the beginnings of them. They weren't that big yet. The leader of them, this Cheldoramar, that it refers to, is the Persian king. These four kings are coming against five much smaller kingdoms. And so what they do 
is they're they way up in this area. You have Babylon and Persia way out over here. So they're coming down. And so it says that, that the kings in this region, the kings in this region were subservient to, to Cheldolamar, but they had rebelled after 12 years. In the 13th year, they rebelled. And in the 14th year, Cheldolamar with three other kings comes and he comes down, and rather to come directly into this Salt Sea Valley where these, where, 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 where um, Sodom and Gomorrah were, they came down, and then they came around conquering this way, and then they come back up, and they have now two fronts toward them, one from the north, one one from from this side, and and so they're trapping them in this region. Sodom and Gomorrah were well destroyed. Uh, at this time, they were very rich lands. Now, those cities were fairly small relative to the kingdoms that were attacking them. And so, so five smaller kings band together against the four kings that are coming against them. And so it, it outlines for us, uh, you can see on the map, the, 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 the attack mode. And, and it says in verse 7, Then they turned back and came to En-Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and they con- uh, conquered all the country of the Amalekites. Now the Amalekites didn't even exist at that time. So how could they conquer the country of the Amalekites? Well, they're just referring to the land that was eventually going to be dominated by the Amalekites. It would be like saying that Samuel de Champlain took Canada. Well, he lived in the late 1500s, early 1600s. And he went up and he, he, you know, he founded New France, which, which was Quebec. Canada didn't have independence until 1867. But when we say that de, de Champlain took the Canadian region, that, that uh, 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 eastern Canadian region, we meant that what Canada was later to become. And that's exactly what's happening here. Because Moses is writing this afterward and he's referring to what eventually the land that that was taken. Not only that, these four kings, when they come down, they really do a lot of conquering here on the east side and then coming back up. Because eventually, a few hundred years later, this land is going to be conquered by Israel as they come out of Egypt and come around. So they've already now been softened up. Already, a lot of them have been killed off by this attack. So that's actually softening things up for what's eventually going to happen a few hundred years later. And it says, it says that uh, uh, and in verse eight, and the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Adma and the king of Zeboim and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, came out and they arrayed for battle against them in the valley of Sidim, against Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim. Raphael, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar. Four kings against five. So four larger kingdoms against five smaller kingdoms. And they're in this valley of the Salt Sea, of the Dead Sea down here, where the attack is taking place, and they're being flanked from both sides. Verse 10, Now in the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits, and the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah fled, and they fell into them. Now it doesn't say they died in them, it says... But those who survived fled to the hill country. Some scholars think that the two kings died in those tar tar pits, and it was new kings that raised up rapidly after that. 
Others feel that, no, they didn't necessarily die, that they fell into the pit. Some survived and some didn't survive because it says those who survived fled to the hill country. So they moved across into the hill country and uh, where, where on, this, on this other side where, where Jerusalem is and, and Hebron, where Abram is. Then it, it says, then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food supply and they departed. So the four kings conquered, they won, they conquered Sodom, they conquered Gomorrah and those three other smaller kingdoms. And they took all the supplies, all the food, everything that was there, and they're going back and they're marching back north. And then they're going to turn along the trade route and head east from there. So they're going to go up along the trade route and then head east back to the land in which they came. The Hittites being just to the north, Persia and Babylon being over to the east. Those are the three that we, we, we can identify of the four. It says in verse 12, they also took Abram's nephew and his possessions and they departed for he was living in Sodom. We remember before he had moved up to Sodom. Now he's living in Sodom. And later we're going to find that he's going to go back into Sodom and he's going to be in the gate of Sodom so he becomes a leader in Sodom. Now I don't want to pick too much on, on, uh, um, on Lot because it says in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 7, and if he rescued righteous Lot. So the Bible, the New Testament, refers to Lot as righteous. If he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what they saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. So Lot was a righteous man, and he felt his righteous, that righteous man felt his righteous soul tormented. Three references to righteousness of Lot in the New Testament. I think he's outdone all of us. I don't find any of us there referenced in the New Testament as being righteous. So he was a good guy, but he was surrounded by unrighteousness. Why he lived in that city, we don't know other than it was a very plush city at the time. Very plush. Because we had, we had read, read uh, in chapter 13 that God referred to that land and he likened it to areas where five rivers collided uh, and he referenced it to a very rich area of Egypt. When God destroyed ultimately Sodom and Gomorrah, not here, but later on in the book of Genesis, he totally destroyed it and that place, that area now is really barren. Um, but, but at this time it was quite rich. And as a result of him living in that town, he lost his wife and his two daughters fell into gross immorality in the habits that they picked up in that city. So there is a lesson for us in that as, as well. So although he was a quote-unquote righteous man, a saved man, one whose heart was to God, he brought his family into an area that was, was not good at all. So it says, it says in verse 12 that they took Lot and all his possessions. So he was still very rich. They took him to verse 12 because he was living in Sodom. Now a fugitive in verse 13, then a fugitive came and told Abram the Hebrew. Now he was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshkol and brother of Anar. And they, these were allies with Abram. Okay, so Abram is living over here just outside Hebron. So this is Hebron down here. 
All that battle is taking place here. Some fugitives come, they go into the hill country, and they come and they tell Abram, who's living right here near Hebron. And it wasn't that Abram overheard this. They came to tell Abram. Abram turns out that his righteousness has already made him a very important man. That they feel an obligation to tell Abram, maybe he will do something about this because Lot is among them. Now remember what, remember this man Lot. Lot took from Abram what was rightly Abram's, and Abram never complained about it. Lot let him take it. Now Abram could have said, well, he made his bed, let him sleep in it, you know. No, but Abram was a man of tremendous grace. Now we know something about Abram. Up till now, through, through, through chapter 13, Abram has been a man of peace. When Lot had real trouble and he wanted to take the land, Abram just said, take it. It's okay, take it. A man of peace. In chapter 14, we're going to see that he can be a man of war as well. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken, so what prompted him to do this? Not that he wanted to attack these four kings. No, it was because he had heard that his, his relative had been taken. So he still had affections toward Lot, even though Lot had little back toward him. That's what happens in Christian lives. When we are called, we are called to love people and care for them in spite of their response toward us. It says, he let out his trained men. He had trained men born in his house, 318, born in his house. So this doesn't include all the Egyptian slaves that he had, all the Syrian slaves that he had. This is the ones that were born in his house. And they were trained. They were trained men. It makes a difference to just say, yeah, let's pick up a sword and go and fight. And to be a trained fighter. Trained fighter makes a big difference. So this might be hard for you to believe, but when I was in high school, I was a boxer. And because boxing was big in those days, and it wasn't like, you were a boxer? Oh, how bad. No, that was a, that was a respected sport at the time. It was really a respected sport. People admired that sort of thing. And every, every practice, there was somebody from, some tough guy from town, some tough kid from town, wanted to come to the gym and fight the boxers because they thought, you know, they were street fighters. They could fight. And the, the coach would always choose one of us, and he'd make sure that he chose one of his fighters who was considerably smaller than this street bully. And he put the two in together. And within seconds, I'm telling you, within seconds, the street bully was turned into toast. Because the guys were trained. They were trained. When you know how to fight, it makes a big difference. You can go on YouTube and see, you know, some tough guy wants to take on someone in the MMA. And it lasts about four seconds. Somebody who's trained, it makes a huge difference. He had 318 trained men. So, Abram is quite powerful if he has 318 trained men that he sends out. And we learn later on in the chapter, in the last verse of this chapter, it says that they were all young men. So it wasn't the older men that were going out to war. It wasn't the children. So if you've got 318 young trained men born in your home, how many other men do you have that are not trained or were not born in your home? 
say another 300 of those of that age group and say another 300 that are old and another 300 that are young too young so you've, you've got a thousand fifteen hundred men and for each male you usually have a female so you've got three thousand people and that makes sense because he had he had it says that that he had an agreement it says the fugitive he says it says in verse 13 now he was living in the oaks by by the oaks of mamre the amorite so this was a man named mamre brother to eshkol and brother of and these were allies with abram so he made an alliance with three amorites what is an alliance you don't they would not have made an alliance with abram if it was just him and his wife and a couple of slaves. You don't make an alliance. The U.S. doesn't make an alliance with the nation of Chad to, to, to have, have let, let, let's not have war with each other. And if one of us goes to war, I'll stand with you. I mean, this doesn't happen. You do this when there's some commensurate level of power between them. So they, they don't want to fight with each other, and so they have an agreement. And it's interesting, Abram, this is how you survived. Abram survived by making agreements with these local other groups that I won't have war with you, you don't have war with me, and if one of you is attacked, we all go to war together. And so you see, Abram made alliances some people are like Christians. I, I I don't want to sign a contract with the electric com- company. I'm like, would you just lighten up? I mean, it it do- doesn't mean that that you you know that you're gonna you're aligning yourself with the antichrist. They're just the electric company. So you have to make alliances in order to survive. Abram certainly did that. He made alliances to survive. And it says they were allies with Abram. And if you look in the, in, the, in the literal translation, it says, and they were keepers of the covenant. So it may be that Abram had even had them converted to being followers of God. Because we're going to see in this chapter, there's other people who are followers of the same God. And in verse 13, it says, the fugitive came and told Abram the Hebrew. Abram the Hebrew. There's 33 times... Hebrew is used, the word Hebrew is used in the Old Testament 33 times, and every time it refers to ethnicity. So it says, the fugitive came and told Abram the Hebrew. It's not that the fugitive called him Abram the Hebrew. God is referring to him as Abram the Hebrew, an ethnicity. God is using an ethnicity term along with his name. Doesn't God have the sensitivities that we have in 2019? Look, he wrote this book. This is his book. Our ways are corrupt. His ways are not. He wrote what we do not like because our ways are corrupt. God is right. Every word in here is sound and true. Abram goes to war and he gets back his... And it says that, that he took his, his men along with these other three groups. And, and what they did is it says they went up as far as Dan. Now Dan is right there. That's Dan, way up there. Now... That wasn't called Dan at the time because Dan was later on one of the children of, of uh, Jacob. And so this was, was another hundred years later that that was actually called the region of Dan. But again, this is being written and being referred to as the northern area, which at that time was called Dan or by a scribal 
insertion is, is describing that as the land Dan. But then he goes up, and so it's 140 miles from Hebron up to here where the next attack is going to take place. And then he routes them way beyond Damascus. So that's a long way. Remember, they're not driving cars. It's 140 miles from Hebron up to Dan. And, and this is what the attack, and it says they attacked at night, which was very unusual, but they were greatly outnumbered. And these guys are, you know, doing what, 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 what men who have conquered lots of kingdoms do. They're raping and they're, they're, they're drinking and they're doing many things. And so they're probably in the middle of the night just wiped out. They're, they're not, their swords aren't with them. And they are attacked at night and they are routed by Abram. And he brought back Lot and his relatives. It is, it is Abram that reached out to Lot. And Abram saves Lot. And this is exactly the picture that we see where God reaches out to us. Not that, that Lot was, was worthy of this. So now I want to dovetail this into an expression of the Gospel. Same sort of thing that happens. So if you look in, in Romans chapter 3, we're going to be in Romans chapter 3, 4, and 5 today. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 it says. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, not none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. So if you consider yourself good, you are wrong. The Bible makes it clear. There is not one righteous person among us. There's not one righteous. Maybe Lot was righteous, but he was a long time ago. There's not one righteous person among us. Not even one. There's none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. Abram reaches out to a man who had done him wrong. Abram reached out to a man who had done him wrong and risked his life and risked the lives of those others with him to go and get him back. There was a faithfulness. There was a union among them, among the, Abram and his three other allies. So they were confederate. Together they went and, and unified and they went and they stood together. There was, and, and this is who we are. There's none among us who's righteous. No, not one. And so let's turn to Romans chapter, chapter four. Romans chapter four. I want to look at this verse. Romans chapter four, verse five. This is a stunning verse. Romans chapter 4, verse 5. But to the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as, as righteousness. God justifies the ungodly. Lot had gone off on his own, and Abram goes and he saves him. Jesus justifies the ungodly. If you are godly, He did not come to justify you. He came to justify the ungodly. If you find yourself a sinner, that is good. If you find yourself righteous, you are wrong. That is a lie. You are not righteous. And if you consider yourself righteous, Jesus did not come to justify you. Jesus came to justify the ungodly. Think about this. God justifies the ungodly. An advocate stands and justifies the person who is innocent who is, whose others are trying to prove guilty. An advocate stands and tries to justify the innocent. God comes and He justifies the guilty. God comes and He justifies the ungodly. This is extraordinary. He comes to justify the ungodly. 
Lot is the one who rebelled. Lot is the one who took things for himself. Lot is the one who moved up to that city and then into that city. And yet Abram goes after him. Because Lot was an elect one. Lot was a family member of Abram. Don't mess with the man of God. Abram was a man of God. At this time, he's probably in his 80s. 80s, somewhere between 80 and 90 at this time. But he's a man of God. You don't mess with the man of God. I remember there was, we were in a church years ago. This was, this was uh, 25 years ago or more. We were in a church in another city before we had moved to Houston. And there was this little group of people that were trying to, to just rebel and get rid of the pastor. And, and I wasn't an elder. I wasn't, wasn't on the leadership of the church. But one of them said he wanted to come into my home and talk to me. I didn't know what he wanted to talk about. And he came to the door and he said, you know, there's a group of us and the pastor's done such and such and we're just banding together. And I said, stop right there. Just stop right there. I didn't even invite him in my home. I said, look, I got so many problems in my own life. So many problems. I don't need your problem. I don't even, he says, let me just tell you what happened. I said, I don't want to hear about it. That has nothing to do with me. There's a church leadership. You bring this to the elders of the church. The pastor is under the elders of the church. You bring it to them. I'm not an elder of the church. I don't even want to hear the accusation. I got enough problems dealing with the own, my own junk in my own mind without picking up your problems. And I sent him away. And that little group ended up breaking off. And within a year, they were totally dispersed and no more. Don't come against the man of God. Never take up a case against a pastor of a church. Let the elders do it. You got a problem with it? You can go in and speak with the pastor. And if it persists, speak to the elders of the church. Let them deal with it. I advise you to stay out of it. Don't mess with the man of God because God honors the position. They thought Abram was just an old guy, you know, 80 years old. I mean, this guy was tough as nails. Was he a man of peace? Absolutely. But when it came to war, Abram was a man of war. And he took this very seriously. Here, we deal with Jesus, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he comes, as did Abram, and he justifies the ungodly. That's what he does. He comes and he justifies the ungodly. Now turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Verse 6, Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So he comes and he justifies the ungodly and he says, Oh, by the way, let me die for you. If you do not know the Lord, listen to me. Listen to me. I urge you, come to know Jesus. I urge you, come to know Jesus. Jesus He has come to justify you in the sinful state in which you stand. He has come to justify you. No man, no woman can stand and say that they are sin free. Jesus comes and He justifies you. He says, let me justify you. And then while we are helpless, there is nothing that we can do to deliver ourselves. At the right time, Christ says, I died for you. I died for you. This man Lot was among the elect. He was of the family of Abram. Not of the seed of Abram, 
meaning what is going to be descendants, to be of the seed of Abram, you had to be of the children of Jacob. You had to be of the children, those 12 uh, uh, sons of Jacob. This was Abram's family. He was going after him. Many of you are among the elect. And that is why you're here. That is why you're here. If you're an unbeliever and you are sitting in this class, God has a special plan for your life. He has a special plan. You are among the elect. If you were not among the elect, He would not have you here. Satan would just be dilly-dallying with you somewhere else. He wouldn't waste your time in this place. You are here because you are among the elect. Come to my home today for lunch. Come to my home today. I will tell you the story of Jesus Christ, what He did in my life. Jesus comes and at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He dies for the ungodly. Abram risks his life for the man who rejected him, for the man who went and took the good things in life and left Abram neglected. There is none of us who are good. No, not one. And Jesus comes and he justifies the ungodly. That's me. That's you. He justifies the ungodly. And then at the right time, he dies for the ungodly. Verse 8 of Romans chapter 5. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you think that you're going to clean yourself up and make yourself worthy of this salvation, you will fail. I heard this story of this artisan, this painter, who wanted to paint the face, the worn face, the portrait of a city beggar. So he went out into the streets and he found a beggar. And he said, I will pay you to come to my studio tomorrow and sit for me. And let me paint a portrait of you. And the beggar agreed. The next day the beggar showed up. And the artist looked at him and summarily dismissed him. He said, go. Why? Because the beggar had cut his hair shaved, washed his face, changed his clothes to sit for the portrait. But he was no longer worthy to sit. That's not what God is looking for. He's not waiting for you to clean yourself up. You cannot. In other words, if you make yourself godly, you're not ready. It's when you're in your ungodliness, He comes to justify you and He comes to die for you. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we are in our sins, Christ dies for us. Please come today. Don't let this day pass by. The scriptures say in, 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 uh, in, in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, it, says, it, it says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. This is your day. I know here, if you are here and you are unsaved, you are among the elect. God has given His life for you. You will be saved. Come, come, let me tell you my story about what Jesus Christ has done in my life. Come to my home today. How often will you get such an offer to come to my home and sit and let me tell you about Jesus? Let me do that with you today. Let me tell you about Jesus so that you might be saved. Now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. I have no authority to do, do this tomorrow. The authority comes for today. Don't delay in this. Do not delay in this. You say, well, I, I need to 
you know, I need to think about this. You don't need to think about being obedient to God. You just do it. It says this in Psalm 119, verse 60. It says, I made haste and I did not delay to keep your word. I made haste and I did not delay to keep your word. We do not delay in keeping the commandments of God. Let me share this with you. Don't go another day without knowing the Lord. Don't let your children have parents that don't know the Lord. You don't know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. You may not live to tomorrow. Nobody knows. Get saved today. Give your life to Him today. Jesus Christ died for the ungodly, for the state in which you are in. Just like Abram gave his life to bring back Lot. Lot was not worthy to have his life brought back by Abram. We are not worthy of this. Yet he dies for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God. And I pray, Lord, for the unbelievers here. Father, work in their lives, I pray. Father, I pray that this day they would allow me to tell them my story of what you've done in my life. Let me share with them this day. Turn their hearts to you this day, I pray. Lord, your word says they shall come from the east and the west and the north and the south and sit at the table in the kingdom of God. They shall come. So Lord, I pray that today you draw them into your kingdom. They shall come. Draw them in this day. Lord, I pray for three salvations this very day. And Lord, for those here who know you, Lord, I pray that they would take hold of this word that they would never challenge church authority because the man of God will win. Father, I pray that you so protect their lives that they will understand faithfulness, that they would learn from the life of Abram. Father, that they would learn that your word is true. Lord, I commit this time to you. Father, draw these young people to your son, I pray, and glorify Jesus through their lives. All glory be to Jesus. Amen.